The man scores every single time. It never gets old. <laughs> uh, defensive touchdown would be nice for the Ohio State Buckeyes on Saturday against the UC Bearcats. It would help them get to 2-0. I don't think UC could overcome that, but uh, a lot of emotion on the Bearcats side coming in Saturday. Spiels with Luke Fickle as its head coach, as yeah, their head coach. Marcus Freeman on the staff. I, I, don't, I think John Tenuta is still on that staff down there. So it's, uh, it, I guarantee you these guys will be ready to play. And believe me, Playing for Cincinnati and living under the shadow of Ohio State, do not underestimate the motivation for these kids and coaches coming up here. It's a once-in-a-lifetime shot for them, and they're going to make the most of it. I think we're going to have a really close game and a really good game, and I'm excited to see the offensive mind matchup mm -hmm. of Ryan Day versus the defensive mind matchup of Luke Fickle. Yeah, uh, James Wiggins is out for the year for Cincinnati, one of their best defenders in the defensive backfield. That's a problem. They got a nice pass rush on UCLA. The question for me is, can UC run the ball a little bit, and can UC protect Desmond Ritter, its quarterback? It's a high, high order with Ohio State's defensive line. Well, the defense, Ohio State's defense is I've light years above where they were at this time last year. And the, how they looked on Saturday was fun. It looked like guys weren't thinking. They were playing faster. I do think implementing some zone with some man. They still played with some man coverage. Don't worry about it. But they, they did play a lot of zone. And zone allows defensive backs and linebackers to play faster because when you play man versus zone, your first priority in man is play pass first, run second. In zone, you can play run first and pass second because you have more time to read and react. All right, Luke Fickle has a chance to do something on Saturday that, in my mind, has not been done very often. This game reminds me a little bit of a game uh, many years ago in the early 90s when Gary Blackney, who I believe was – was he in, uh, your oh, linebacker defensive coach? Coordinator. No, defensive coordinator defensive when coordinator. I was there, yes. Uh, Gary Blackney brought the Bowling Green Falcons into Ohio Stadium, a team that was uh, – very successful the year before and returned most of its skill position talent. And he had Ohio State on the run uh, until the Buckeyes pulled it out in the fourth quarter. But Gary Blackney, a former Ohio State assistant coach, did not win in Ohio Stadium. You and I were commiserating over the weekend on how many have. And we came up with, I think, six. Six that we know of. That we know of, yes. And I'd be happy to hear from uh, any of our podcast listeners if they have any more. Start, uh, Gary Moeller. There's one at Michigan. Bill Mallory at Indiana. Correct. I was part of that loss. Thank you very much. Dark. I know you were going to bring it up, but I was, so I, I brought was it first. Darkest day in Ohio State football history. Uh, Nick Saban in 1998, Correct. and I still maintain I that 98 team might have been the greatest team in Ohio State history. It's funny, though, how we forget the past as we move forward to all these great teams that Urban has brought, but that 98 team was just Remarkable. Winfield, Katzenmoyer, oh, Boston, I mean, just Wiley, Jermaine, D. Miller, Orlando uh, you, not you, Orlando uh, Pace. You were covering for the plane dealer. I was back covering then, yeah. for the plane dealer, and that team was a amazing juggernaut. They were they were so good. Up uh, twenty four to nine in the fourth quarter at home against Michigan State after a Damon Moore pick six, yeah. and just imploded in the fourth quarter. Jump ball after jump ball to Plaxico Burris, and they win it at the end. And uh, that kept Ohio State out of the first BCS. I think, yeah, yeah. it's BCS playoff. That was the year Tennessee won it, which I think was the last year Tennessee won anything. So, 
That's bad. Anyway, Sorry. so I have a friend no, who's a no, they're, they're, they're fan just not. It's no just, longer it's sad. It, there's nothing. I think I get no joy out of seeing the downfall and demise of Tennessee. Georgia State beat Tennessee, who was two and ten last year. I watched and, some of that game, yeah. by the way. Why? And by the way, so who do I have? I have Moeller. Yeah, Moeller. Fred Michigan, Mallory. Mallory Moeller, former defensive captain at Ohio yes. State. Saban, Mason. You got Moeller. You're missing the obvious one. Uh, guy oh, Bo. Your, guy from your hometown. Chef Beckler. Yeah. No, he's from Barberton. Home area. Yeah. Yes. And, of course, the one that I didn't get and that you reminded me, and, again, it's it was Mark D'Antonio. Mark D'Antonio. And so. another one is a guy who was on a coaching staff when you were playing, I believe. Was Glenn Mason on the staff? I said Mace. We, okay. I had six. Okay. Moeller, six. Those are our six. Mason, Shem Beckler, mm-hmm. Mallory at Indiana, and D'Antonio. So two at Michigan State, two at Michigan, Glenn Mason, and Bill Mallory. Yes. Those That's are it. the six. There you Luke go. Fick will be the seventh. What would this got win a shot. mean? Okay. So let's just go. Oh, let's man, just Luke. go into Crazy Town right now. We'll oh. just turn on the natural gas here and get lightheaded and ask the question. What would it mean to Luke Fickle to win Saturday in Ohio State? It would be everything. Would it be bittersweet uh, at all? It would be everything on a sports per- perspective, career perspective, and, and for Luke and just keeping things in proper context. But I, I think it'd be, it would be the epitome of his coaching career to be able to do that. I really believe that. Now, he might not admit that. But I would be upset because I want Ohio State to win the national championship. I want them to fly through. I want them to get better. But I got to tell you, I'd be so happy for that guy, man. I would be so happy if, if Luke wins. It would feel a lot like when Mason won I, here with Minnesota. I bet in, you a uh, lot of people would be ex- happy for Luke. I think it'd be a. I think people would be, be upset. mad, and <laughs> yeah. then they'd say, if it had to happen— much like Bo Schembuckler said after your win as a senior in Ann Arbor, Bo came into the Ohio State locker room and he said to Earl, I hate losing. Yeah. If I had to lose to somebody, I'd rather it be you. Yeah, and I think that's probably uh, the case. I don't know if that's the case with Ryan. I don't know what kind of relationship Ryan Day and Luke Fickle have. I'm sure that's cordial. But I can tell you this, that Luke is a fierce competitor. And I know one thing, I would be shocked if Ohio State beats him by three touchdowns. I'd be shocked. And I, I'm not... And I'm terrible at setting lines and, and gaming and seventeen gambling. points is the early line. I'd be shocked if if I'd be shocked if Ohio State beats them by seventeen. Really? I really I think it's gonna okay. be a great game. Okay. I really I just got that feeling. I, I could be wrong. I just have that feeling. Uh there is uh, no question that uh, no one will be happy for uh, Mike Vrabel outside of his own family if he spoils the coaching debut of Freddie Kitchens with the Cleveland Browns on Sunday in Cleveland Browns Stadium. But it is the same kind of a situation for Vrabes as he played yeah. at Walsh Jesuit as a Northeast Ohio guy. And he would dearly love to come oh, to Brown Stadium and to get the W because Vrabes is, well, I uh, heard Stan Jackson, our former colleague this week, talking mm-hmm. about the captains at Ohio State and how you don't have to be a captain to be a leader. And he said Mike Vrabel always said he was a leader on the team even though he wasn't a captain. And he said if Mike had been a nicer guy, I'll, I'll, I'll make it sound nicer than Stan did. If Mike had been a nicer guy, he might have been a captain at Ohio State. But Mike Vrabel has gone through life, and it's served him very well to have a chip on his shoulder. And I would think he'd definitely have one coming into the Browns Stadium because of his Northeast Ohio ties and because of the fact that everybody's talking about the Browns, the Browns, the Browns, the Browns, right. the Browns even though they never won anything. Well, I think when you look at Mike, if Mike is who he is, I love the guy. I got along with him great. Now, I didn't. fortunately, I didn't get to play with him. I would have loved to play with the guy. But 
Mike holds, holds himself to a standard and he held everybody else to a standard. And sometimes when you do that, you're not considered a nice guy. But uh, Mike's intentions are he's a competitor. He wants to win. He knows how to win. Uh, I remember Mike was being pegged for head coach five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people were asking me about Mike and what kind of head coach do I think he would be. And I told him I think he'd be a great head coach because he does not care. He does not care about what people think. I think he'll have his team ready to go. And it's, you know, the whole thing with the Browns and Titans, look, when you play a guy like Marcus Mariota, you got to be able to handle him. Uh, he he can be really, really good or he can be bad. But Marcus can run the football. The one question we have is that Taylor Wan, who's out, right, at right tackle. Suspended. How are you going to protect against Miles Garrett and anybody else that the Browns Shelton throw out Richardson, there? Olivier, Olivier Vernon. Olivier okay. Vernon, yeah. All right, so play offensive coordinator for me. You're the Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator. What are you doing to keep that Browns pass rush, which, again, it was preseason, but it looked pretty good against so you, Tampa Bay. First of all, you notice who's the immediate threat, right? The, and this is why John Dorsey gets it. You got it last year when you wanted to uh, draft uh, Bradley Chubb. The edge rusher, Or yeah. was it Chubb? Bradley, Bradley Chubb, Chubb, yes. So, but, so he didn't have the edge rusher that he wanted opposite of Miles Garrett. So he goes out and gets Olivier Vernon. Olivier Vernon, quite frankly, got a big contract with the Giants and disappointed a lot of people with the Giants. So Dorsey swoops in, brings him in. Olivier Vernon looks tremendous in preseason. And so you're hoping that he's a huge threat off the other edge. Because what I would do is, first of all, I'm going to be a fool to start the game to see if whoever I got playing right tackle can handle Miles Garrett mm-hmm. or whatever matchup they have one on one. If I can't handle them, there's things that you can do. It's including you can use a back to chip on your outside edge rusher to force him into the offensive tackle so the offensive tackle isn't constantly worried about getting beat by speed. Or two, you can have a tight end stay in and you can double team him. And so, but the problem that those both those guys present and why you see pass rushers at such a premium. And we see guys now in the league that are pass rushers. They're not 290 pounds, right? They're 250, yeah. 260. Agile. And they're Oof. screaming off the edge, man. And speed is just a threat that offensive linemen get really nervous about. So those are the couple things that you can do. You can chip them with the back or you can keep a tight end and force them into the offensive tackle so the offensive tackle doesn't have to cover as much ground when they're trying to block a speed rusher. All right, with the Browns' corners, and they really like their corners, Denzel Ward and others, they want to play man. But against Tennessee with Marcus Mariota, if you were the Browns' defensive coordinator, would you play perhaps a little more zone than you'd like to play just because Mariota running, to me, seems like one of the Titans' big weapons. Yeah, it is. And here, A lot of defenses in the NFL do this. They'll they'll play man on one side, and they'll play like a zone matchup on the other Mm -hmm. side. And so... Look, Marcus Mariota understands that you know, you're not going to make a living or beat teams by your quarterback running the football. Kyler Murray's not going to be able to do that. It's different than college. You're playing different athletes. You take bigger shots and bigger hits. Mm-hmm. And once you leave the pocket, remember, you're not afforded as many uh, the same right. safety opportunities that you are with you're within the pocket. So it doesn't I think you play your defense. I do think there's certain defenses when you have your two inside pass rushers. You don't want them running free and creating certain lanes. You want them to be able to close and condense lanes by getting a power rush and almost extending their arms as they're pushing the offensive line back, keeping an eye on Marcus Mariota or any type of other quarterback that is a threat to run the football. Look, to me, I think the Browns have all the pieces in place. On paper, they're a really good football team. 
the biggest question mark you have about the Cleveland Browns. And I was up there this weekend doing the Browns in Lions preseason game. I mm-hmm. talked to a lot of Browns folks. And they asked me, what do I think? And I think this. I think that they're going to be fine. The only th- concern that I have is when chaos comes. And chaos hits every NFL locker room. Define chaos. Chaos could be by a number of injuries, right? Chaos can be uh, players not happy with mm-hmm. the amount of touches they get with the football. Chaos <laughs> can, could you mean? can become uh, a, a fact when maybe the head coach and the quarterback aren't getting along. We saw that up in Green Bay with mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. And so for me, I do think that if they can keep it together – and if Baker cannot make emotional decisions but make common-sense decisions and make decisions where he thinks about it, then I think the Browns can be really good. There is only one reason, it's my opinion, it's not a fact or anything, but I hear things and maybe it's true, maybe it's not true, but it makes a lot of sense. There's one reason why Drew Stanton's on the roster. Drew Stanton, the backup quarterback, very accomplished Thirteen uh, years in a lot in of league. different places for the Browns. Yes. Why is he on the roster? Uh, I would hope it's to rein Baker Mayfield in sometimes and say, you know, I love your enthusiasm stuff, but just dial it back a little bit. I believe that Drew Stanton's on the roster because he's the only guy that Baker Mayfield listens to. Okay. So Drew Stanton will sit there and tell Baker Mayfield to shut up. Anybody else can tell Baker Mayfield to shut up. He won't listen to him. You don't think he'd listen to Freddie Kitchens? I think there's I think they can have personalities that can come together. But it's always good to have that that mediator, right? Particularly Why a player is, particularly yeah. player to player. Why else is Drew Stanton on the roster? You're gonna tell me I, Drew Stanton was is better than, than Gilbert? No. I think Drew Stanton's on the roster because your backup quarterback in the NFL, first of all, I agree with you. That's why he's on the roster. It's a big part of why he's on the roster. If he didn't here's what I would say. If he didn't get along with Baker Mayfield, he'd be out of there. But you do need the ideal backup quarterback in the NFL is a guy who can step in without reps and win. And Drew Stanton has proven he can do that. Now, I'm not talking about step in and win and take you to the playoffs if Baker Mayfield tears an ACL. I'm talking about in a, in a mid-game situation, in a got to have a guy for two weeks because our quarterback's dinged up. Drew Stanton's ideal for that. I'm going to say this. I don't think if Baker, gosh forbid, I hope it doesn't happen. I don't want anybody to get hurt. I'm going to say Gilbert's in. Wow. I disagree with that. I would have kept David Blau. I wouldn't have traded David Blau. The only reason they traded David Blau is because they have to keep Drew Stanton on there to help Baker Mayfield grow and develop. I'd have kept David Blau on the roster. You would keep four quarterbacks on the roster? Over Garrett Gilbert. I would have kept him over Garrett Uh, Gilbert. I think Gilbert's better than Blau. Okay. I mean, you know, I'm just telling you that if something would happen significant to. Baker Mayfield, mm-hmm. and he says he's going to miss six weeks. Gilbert's your quarterback with the Cleveland Browns. There are all kinds of weird things, and uh, not weird, insignificant, seemingly insignificant things that happen at the NFL cutdown day. This guy gets picked up here, he gets cut there, he's gone. I find this odd. Tell me if you find this odd. The Titans traded Tawan Taylor, a wide receiver, to the Browns on the 31st of August. I would not trade a guy to the team I'm playing. I find that very odd. A couple days before I play them find that very odd. I mean, what is the what did you get for him? Like a seventh round pick I, or something? I heard um former general manager. I don't know if it was Bill Pullian, although I don't know if Bill would make this mistake. Uh a former general manager on NFL radio 
and he was talking about that the one mistake he regrets mm-hmm. is that he traded a guy to a team within his division, Ooh. and he traded a guy that he was going to cut anyway, so he would figure he'd get a draft pick for, mm-hmm. or or week before a game, and their team got destroyed. Wow. Their team got destroyed. Because he believes because of that trade and that guy told that yeah. other team and that other team was able to absorb the information and they destroyed him. And the guy, the, the general manager said, I'm never, ever, ever do that. I would never do that again if I ever had another opportunity to run a football team. I, I just don't see the upside if you're not getting a significant pick and you're not getting a significant pick for Tawan Taylor. No. Okay, while we're on the Browns, normally do email at the end of the show, Spielman and Hooley podcast. No, Spielman Hooley podcast at gmail.com. You can always tweet questions at Hools at Chris underscore Spielman. Uh, we love to get your thoughts on the podcast and answer any questions you have. The motto we have is we tackle everything. So mm-hmm. it can be football. It can be faith. It can be anything in between raising teenage daughters, both of which uh, Mr. Spielman and I are in the midst of. It's exhausting. Um, but rewarding. Yeah. But rewarding. Are we okay. getting into that now? Or are we still on the? No, no. We're, we're going to get into the. We're going to get into the one email we have on the. Okay. Browns, and then we're going to yep. move on to some other things. And it is an email from Fred in Mansfield. He said, "Guys, do you believe the Browns will win the AFC North?" No. Pittsburgh Steelers. I think they're a hard kill. I think they're um, bitter from last year. I think they're anxious to prove anything wrong. And as much as he infuriates me at times. Ben Roethlisberger is as good as there is in the NFL at times. He, he really is. And I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be the favorites in the North. I want the Browns to win the mm-hmm. AFC North. Too. And I think the Bengals are going to struggle. And a team that every time you go to kick him yeah. or shoot him, put him out of his misery in John Harbaugh, he brings him back. I don't believe in Lamar Jackson as a sustainable quarterback in the NFL. I believe he can win games occasionally. I believe he'll be he'll have tremendous highlights. I just don't believe he's a sustainable winner in the NFL at this point. So no to the Ravens, wow. no to the Bengals. I do not It's a great division. Though. I cannot embrace the Browns as the division winner, Fred, because uh sitting next to this gentleman as I have for many years, I believe football is the ultimate team game and I believe that um the culture of a team matters. And no matter what he says, I do not believe Odell Beckham is a team guy first. I do not believe Jarvis Landry, though more of a team guy first than Odell Beckham, I do not believe he's a team guy first. I believe there are too many explosive egos. I believe Baker Mayfield still has a lot to learn off the field. I think he's got every tool to win and win big. But I believe he expends too much energy on things that don't factor into winning. And so I think that this will be a year where the Browns will be appreciably better. They will not win the AFC North. I did not say they would not be a wild card team because I think they were, have too much talent, and particularly on the defensive side, not to be a nine-win team and maybe a ten-win team. But my biggest question mark with the Cleveland Browns, besides locker room culture and chaos and all that stuff Chris referred to, it's, is but it's not just Browns, right? It's it's every team goes through that. It's just how you correct. handle. Like the Patriots go through chaos when Josh Gordon gets suspended they for the five hundredth time, but they have and they bring him back they, again. They have proven they have a culture to handle. Yes, that's yes. They yes. have a established head coach and an established quarterback who can say knock it off, and everybody knocks it off. We are they are unproven in Cleveland in that area. With Freddie Kitchens. But they have a chance to prove it. They have a chance to prove it. And Baker has, so far, been a guy who's more inflamed those situations by talking about Duke Johnson's money and some other 
things <laughs> than a guy who shuts it down. Daniel so, Brown? Yeah. So they're Although that's, he's taken out of context because of you your former the ilk. Media well, ilk. You're yeah. about you're you're back to the part of that media ilk. I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. Good job. Good job. No, you're I know Here's you try to do that. I'll do I'll do I'll fill this in for you. If I'm Freddie Kitchens and I say, if we can kill all the egos inside here, if we can come together as one, Boy, that's if we can do this, we have a chance for greatness, and we have a chance to make a Super Bowl run. On really, if you if you take a survey around the league, talent wise, Bruce, there's not oh. a lot much better talent wise. You True. had Sheldon Richardson inside. You bring <laughs> Olivia Vernon on the outside. The only the issue that needs improved is they were the 30th ranked defense in the league last year. They were. 30th. But the pass rush makes a huge difference in that. They were still 30th gonna, in the league. You're going to kill all the egos in that room. That's going to be like a game That's of thrones. That's how you kill the ego. Bloodletting. We're we're talking about if Freddie went I mean there's there's times where you you, you know you, you make winners feel like losers and losers feel like winners. Yeah. You want to kill the egos in those guys? You were 30th on defense. We're not That's winning right. anything being 30th on defense. And that's the motivation, I think. And so I, I'm excited to watch him because I think it's exciting. And more importantly, I'm excited for the Cleveland Browns fan. Being one growing up, I want to see them do well. I want to see them compete so in the I. AFC. So I know you are, but are you? I, but I'm I thought totally you burned right. your... Oh, I took the seven-mile walk of shame after Biner's fumble. But the middle of winter, are you I back? just put my hard shoes on and off I went. You burned your Browns walk, fan and I card. Said, I said never again. <laughs> but I'm like You're Sonny Corleone. They keep sucking me back in. Are you back now? I'm back. All right, I'm good. Back. But my biggest question mark with the Browns, I just remembered it because I'm a pit bull. When I get a take, I won't let go of it. <laughs> the health of Denzel Ward. I said they should draft Bradley Chubb because pass rushers have a longer shelf life than corners. His concussion issues last year and the fact that he missed a few games, I believe he is the yeah, fulcrum on their defensive side in the defensive backfield. And if Denzel Ward is not a guy who can play 15 games or more, that's a problem. Yeah. So that's where we are. And the other question I have is rookie kicker, rookie punter. The Scottish Hammer. You yeah. saw the Scottish Hammer made the team. I think the Scottish Hammer, Jamie Gillian, made the team based on one tackle. Of course, he punted well. Yeah. But you saw that, did you not, against yeah. the Lions? Uh, well, uh, you know, it's an oxymoron, a physical corner and a physical kicker. So, it's a yeah, it's, 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 a it's a rare breed. It's a yes, Scottish it is. Hammer. All right. So there's our email and uh, there's our Browns take. Now, you had, you want to do the Carly Lloyd? Uh, question before we get into your deep question of the day? Nah. Okay. It's, you don't want to do I'm, Carly I'm Lloyd? I'm starting to lose interest. Okay. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. I just, I'm starting to lose interest. Do you believe? I, here's my short Carly Lloyd thing. <laughs> I, nice field goal, 55 yards. You don't get five yards to run at the ball yeah. in the NFL. I, and I would worry about her safety if she ever got a kick blocked. Yeah. Um, I. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, no loss. We're not against it, but we're just quest. I doubt that it will happen. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's happening. But okay. so you if, would if not, it does, great. I'll watch it with interest. Yes. You would not give me any advance notice on this other topic that you said you want to bring to the table. So i um reading a book, and it asked this question. Do you live your life as men? And this can apply to the women that listen to. Mm -hmm. But as men, since you and I are both men and we're in a stage of life where, you know, where we've had careers – we're fathers, we raise girls, we like to serve God, we like to think that we do. But really ask yourself, mm -hmm. do you live your life reactively or proactively? And I really ask myself that question. And 
I'm anxious, curious to how you would answer that. Bruce Lee, how do you answer that question? Uh, in the last six months, I have uh, committed myself to living proactively. By that, I mean establishing a format, a prism through which I want to view things, and then hopefully committing to that. Now, it's a struggle for me because for most of my life, except for isolated periods of perhaps spiritual highs or crises where you're, you know, you go back to the things that you know where the answers are, I lived reactively, and I was far too reactive. I think react, living reactively is... Um, it's unavoidable, by the way. It is unavoidable at times, and it is not as enriching a way for me to live my life. When I live proactively, my, my day starts with Bible study and prayer, and when I get off that... My day is um, it's misordered, and I tend to find myself not having as much inner peace and not having as much uh, of a measured approach to things. Does that answer your question? Yeah, uh, yeah, it does in a sense. And here's what I learned about myself. First of all, I say it's unavoidable as as husbands and as fathers and as men, and you know we 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 live reactively and we become slaves to our jobs because we have to because in a sense we are. For the most part, there are obviously exceptions, providers, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we're not providing, it affects who we are as a man. It affects who we are as, as people. No doubt. Uh, and, For me, it's definitely true. And so, and so in, in being a, uh, uh, a father and a husband, everything is reactive because being a husband and a father, you want to take care of your family. You want to be protect them. Any problems that come up, you immediately want to solve the problems. We oftentimes don't let the problems work themselves out. We want to go fix, 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 fix. Yes. And in order to live that life, you have to be reactive to every problem. But that reactive um, action that you take, that can consume you, and then you stop being proactive. You, st you, you, you stop dictating circumstances, and you know when you're reactive, you have no control over the outcome all the time because you never are 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 taking a chance within yourself. For me, when I'm reactive, I'm not starting from the baseline of who I want to be and right. how I want to make decisions. If I'm just reactive, if I'm proactive, I am sort of rooted. My One of my favorite verses and one of your favorite verses is 1 Corinthians 16, I think it's 17. 13 and 14. Uh, is it? Okay. Uh, the verse is, stand firm. It's be do on you your not guard. believe me? Do you not do believe, believe me? You. I believe you. you be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be strong. The be end courageous. is do, do, do everything in love. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll be on your guard. Stand firm in your faith. Be a man of courage. Be a man of strength. And above all, do everything with love. Okay, Th that good. if we want to be accurate. No. Well, why would we want to be accurate with the... That's a loose <laughs> translation. <laughs> Why would we want to be accurate with the Bible? Yeah. So in order to live proactively, and this is a challenge to everybody listening out there, so you have to live proactively by serving God. By serving God, you're going to serve your family, you're going to serve others. Mm -hmm. And so you have to, whatever that may be. Now, um, seeing a homeless person on the street and giving them a McDonald's coupon as opposed to money. If you're opposed to giving a guy money, give him a McDonald's coupon. Drive around with $5, or, or, $10 or take them Or take them to or, uh, McDonald's. Or, or take them inside in a grocery store yeah. or all that. And, 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 and just, or be, just be proactive by being a good person if you're if, or, or doing the right thing or doing a good deed or whatever you want to define it. If you don't have a faith, it's fine. But if you're proactive, you then can control a lot of things in your life. 
and you're not a slave to reacting to everything that yeah. comes your way. And it's funny that we only react to the negative that hits us. And it gets exhausting as men and as husbands to live in a reactive manner constantly. So my wish for you is to make a conscious decision to be proactive in your life and what you do and how you live and, and what standards that you are setting. So how and would not you wait tell for people, something to happen? A lot of people have enormous respect for you because of how you've modeled service throughout your life uh, with the Stephanie Spielman Fund, how you and Steph reacted to that adversity in your life. So for someone, let's take it from a perspective of someone who doesn't have the same faith that we do, and they sure. say, well, I'd still like to live proactively. What kind of advice would you give them that they would be able to do that? You just have to open your eyes around you and within your community, and don't wait for somebody else to do something to have a positive impact on somebody's life. Like when we started uh, the Spielman Fund, it was purely from a secular point of view. It, it's not, okay, this is a straight... Uh, ministry? Yeah, ministry. It's not. It wasn't. It was a ministry for Steph and I, but it wasn't a mystery, ministry in its mission. It, its mission was to help everybody, mm -hmm. no matter where they are, no matter what they've done right or wrong in their lives. Anybody with cancer, we're here to help and, and to do the right thing for everybody involved. But it became something that we felt that God gave us and put us in a position to be in to do something proactive. So that was taking a proactive measure mm -hmm. without beating somebody over the head with a Bible, right. for example. So there's so many opportunities. All you have to do is open your eyes and look and see, okay, how can I be proactive in my life? Or how can I be proactive as a husband and father uh, when you come home from work? You know, get off your phone and, and don't sit on the TV. Don't go stand at the TV. You know, be proactive in investing in your daughters or your sons and, and what what may seem stupid and ignorant a comment that your daughters may make, but find it interesting and funny, yeah. or at least act like it's interesting well, and funny. I, I have benefited greatly from my friendship with you, and I think one of the reasons why we get along, for me, you uh, struggle with some of the same struggles I do, uh, but you hold me accountable. You question me on things that I say that I do. Yeah. You stretch me. And I think that's important for guys to live proactively is have somebody yes. that you can. That's a great example. Because, look, I mean, am I, am I breaking news here? Like, men don't think like women, and women don't right. think like men. Now, it's important to have communication with your wife, very important to have communication. Um, but you also sometimes can bounce things off of and get sound advice from someone who you have respect for. The biggest thing I learned is that when I have issues or problems, I get the best advice that people that aren't emotionally invested. When I present the problem or issue to them, um, they give me a clear perspective mm -hmm. with somebody, and they t you remove emotional. Like if, if with my wife Carrie now, if I got a problem and I take it to her, she's automatically going to take my side. Just like I would automatically take her side or you automatically take Sherry's side, right? Mm -hmm. Our first is to protect. Yeah. That's our first instinct. Yes, yes. As opposed to going to get an outside view. That's why I believe in, in like counseling and stuff like that because when when you if you sit down there, and I spoke to a counselor after Steph died for uh, the first time I've ever said that, but I, I have. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I learned is that that counselor has heard this story a million different times. Right? And, they're, and they're a professional counselor, and, so this is their specialty. Right, it's their specialty, and so they're giving me advice, not from an emotional side, but mm -hmm. something that, you know, they can 
come at it with an education and what works and what doesn't work. And they're not saying to me, they're not telling me what I want to hear. They're telling me what I need to hear. And that's, that's the difference. And the other thing I would say that's a very healthy perspective is um, learn to take a deep breath in the midst of struggle. Um, I remember very well, almost 10, well, 10 years ago at this time when things were trending in a, in a bad direction with mm-hmm. Steph. And I know immediately afterward, as much as you thought you were prepared for that, there were times where it would have just helped to just take a, a deep breath. For yeah. me, I went through a crisis in my life. I had my first wife was unfaithful and got a divorce. And I, I mean, you tell yourself things that just aren't true. I told myself then, man, will I ever laugh again? Yeah. Will I ever laugh again? Well, oh, I mean, yeah. it's crazy. It's 20 plus years since then. I got a beautiful wife, a faithful wife, a wife I trust, a wife I love. I've got three beautiful daughters. What a dumb thing for me then to say. And I really bully. I really wondered, will I ever laugh again? So you got to learn the art of taking a deep breath. And if you have that person in your life that can, you respect, so their words mean something to you and they can say, hey, dude, like take a deep breath. Yeah. That's very helpful. Well, it, it, it's amazing that you say that because when I talk to people that were currently in a situation that I was in, either somebody recently diagnosed or a recurrence of cancer or somebody that's a recent widow or slash widower, the one thing I tell them that I promise you, you know, it's going to get better. And I know that um, you might think you'll never be able to love again. I didn't think I was ever going to get remarried. Never thought I'd ever love somebody again. And I didn't like the person that I was becoming because ultimately you have to, you're going to have to make choices when you're in the midst of crisis. Ultimately, the choice is going to be, you're eventually going to have to choose joy over sadness. You're going to have to choose peace over the constant pain. You've got to be able to allow yourself to have peace. And you're going to have to be able to, to choose that uh, I will triumph over whatever I'm going through. And it's hard to make that decision because it becomes a comfort level when you're when you're miserable all the time and it's an easy out for you not to be happy. You know what I you might want to be and it, and and the thing that that I always say is that when you go through crisis you're you're not thinking rationally like I still have issues. I have issues with going for my annual physical because I think the guy's going to say I got cancer in every mm-hmm. part of my body. That's just my life. That's a big issue that I deal with. It's not a rational thought, mm-hmm. statistically speaking. But to me, it's so real and fearful that I really have to focus and and get help to conquer that fear. Well, it's, you, it's, it's, it's real. You went through a lot of truth there, and I want people to focus on a word you used a couple times. Choose. It is a choice. Sometimes you'll see. I mean, I know a lot of people wondered. Chris and Steph, how they handle this, I just don't understand. How many times did you hear? I don't know how you handle this because you made a purposeful decision. This is how we're going to chart a course. It's no different than football. You have something you commit to as an offense, something you commit to as a defense. It's exactly like it. You can't be pounded by the waves of life. You can't be torn asunder. You got to, as we said with that verse, you got to, you got to decide what you're going to commit to. You got to stand firm in it. Go ahead, read it, and you got to go. Just confirm that you were wrong and I was correct. Uh, I'm looking for it here. Where did you scroll past it? Uh, Thirteen. First Corinthians, uh, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. What verse was that? Verses, I didn't look at the verse. It's 16, 13, got, and 14. I reading glasses on, so I couldn't so, see it. So the whole lesson is, that, and why we're able to do this, and why I'm able to do this, and why I was able to choose joy over sadness, peace over pain, triumph over tragedy, uh, choose to not be uh, exist, but to 
try and, and, and love somebody again. Why I was able to choose that is because of an eternal perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we live in such the here and now and give me immediate gratification. But I'm telling you, if you can keep an eternal perspective in mind, it'll help you be proactive in your life. It'll help you make good decisions. And most importantly, whatever you're dealing with in whatever issue, how terrible it is, if you keep an eternal perspective and you have an eternal perspective, you'll be able to get through anything. Um, how do I know that? Because I lived it, and I am living it to this day. And believe me, I know what pain is just like, and I'm not, I don't pretend to be the only guy that has lost somebody. The millions of people have lost people. I'm just telling you on my journey I was able to do that. And the biggest, most important point is having keep an eternal perspective in mind. And it allows you to be able to make better choices of, of, of life and how to live. And uh, if you would love to have uh, more maybe direction on that or you have questions about that, feel free to email the show, Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, definitely be happy to respond to that because one of the beauties of this format, why we're excited about doing this format is – the last five, six minutes uh, in radio is much more difficult to do than it is in this format. Our motto is we tackle everything. We yeah. want to be an encouragement and inspiration and entertain and inform. And we feel like we can do that in this format uh, very, very yeah. well. Well, the other thing is, too, you know, it's it's important, like, I, I, you know, whatever your struggle is. I got a friend that's six years and 16 days sober that alcohol almost ruined his life. You know, I... I it's important for me to t- say, look, I, I ain't, I'm not stronger than anybody else out there. You know, there, there's a, there, there's another verse and I'm, sh- I'm sure you'll probably want to check my accuracy on this one. No, I've, learned talks about- <laughs> I've learned my lesson. <laughs> yeah. Me sitting here with a halo. Yes. Yeah. My grace is sufficient and power is made perfect in weakness. And for this reason, uh, I celebrate when I go through trials and tribulations and troubles, uh, for when I am weak, I am strong. Philippians so, four thirteen. No, it's Corinthians again. But anyway, that's okay. For do you guys do you is actually it, uh, do? You, where, how's it, that Bible in, study going for you? A, you even looking at it? It's in one of Paul's letters. <laughs> he only wrote fourteen. Are you even looking at the book that you're reading? Yes, I'm All looking. Right. At, I'm underlining everything. All right. So the, the the point being is that you know for us, and this doesn't have to be you. That's fine. But for us, uh, I really had to learn that you know God's grace is sufficient. And with that, by becoming weak and understanding that God's grace is sufficient for you to be strong, uh, let yourself become weak so you can become strong. More scriptural corrections from Spiels <laughs> coming in future podcasts. <laughs> I thought I had that second one nailed. No, you didn't, my no, friend. I no, didn't. Way All off right. again, but that's go. okay. Well, you, you got the author correct. Life is about learning. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so uh, we'll have more on the Browns, more on uh, the Buckeyes as the week progresses. We really appreciate you guys listening to the podcast, and subscribing uh, would really help us. Leave a review would be nice iTunes and other podcast platforms make it very, very easy. We're thrilled with uh, the fact that we're back and able to talk to you guys, and we're thrilled that you've embraced the Spielman Hooley podcast so far. Hope you'll continue to do so. Send those emails to Podcast at gmail.com.